Thinking aloud. Conversations on the leading edge of knowledge and discovery with psychologist Jeffrey Mishlove. Hello and welcome. I'm Jeffrey Mishlove. Today is a very special program. Our topic is intelligent energy. My guest is an amazing young man, R.J. Spina, an individual who cured himself of what would have been permanent paraplegia. And I think it may help you to appreciate today's video if you take a look at uh, this video. It's a very short video describing his own self-healing process. R.J. Spina is the author of Supercharged Self-Healing, a revolutionary guide to access high-frequency states of consciousness that rejuvenate and repair. R.J. is based in the San Diego, California area, and now I'll switch over to the internet video. Welcome, R.J. I'm very happy to be able to be with you today and to share your story and your wisdom with the New Thinking Aloud audience. Thank you very much for having me, Jeffrey. It's my pleasure. Let's begin by talking about the illness that you went through. Actually, it was multiple illnesses, like six different conditions at once. Yeah, it was a big challenge. So, the, the, there was an infection that got into my bloodstream and then was able to actually get into my spine and crush my spine, causing a permanent chest down paralysis uh, through sepsis or septic shock. Uh, the other issues that uh, had arisen probably through the sepsis. Uh, I was diagnosed with type 1 diabetes, hypothyroidism, Hashimoto's autoimmune disease, thyroiditis, uh, pancreatitis, and then something called uh, autonomic dysreflexia, which uh, happens to paraplegics or quadriplegics that have an, uh, an injury above T6. And the major focus of my injury was T7 and T8. And uh, Autonomic dysreflexia is, it affects the autonomic system, obviously, which controls your breathing, your pulse, your heart rate, things like that. And when there's damage <clears throat> to that area of the spine, your autonomic system doesn't run automatically. So you, it's almost like an ancient yogic practice. You have to gain control of your heart rate, gain control of your breathing, gain control of your body temperature. So yes, as you said, there was, there was a host of, uh, challenges to address address all at the same time. And how long ago was this? Uh, I became permanently paralyzed uh, in April 23rd, 2016. Now, when you say permanently paralyzed, I gather you're no longer permanently paralyzed. So, uh, you overcame that condition, but that was your diagnosis. You were told you would be permanently paralyzed from the chest down as a, as a paraplegic. That yeah, that is correct. Uh, I even included in the in the book the uh, notes from my surgeon prior to the surgery. It said complete paraplegia, and post surgery is complete paraplegia. And he informed me <clears throat> pretty much immediately right after the surgery that no one recovers and that my condition was permanent. 
at the same time you were given surgery, there was at, at least some treatment available, or I assume you might have died. Yeah, I, I believe the surgery probably uh, saved my life because the uh, the infection had gotten out of control. So they did a, a laminectomy, which is where they kind of scrape off the infection, literally right off the spine, and try to remove as much of the infection as possible. But I was already paralyzed. But I, I do I do feel that the removing of that infection at least gave me the opportunity to continue to try to work on healing myself. So yeah, I, I would call it life-saving surgery, yes. And I think the fascinating part of your story occurs right at this point, just as you're coming out of the surgery. Yes. Um, I, I like to say that when I had awakened uh, from emergency surgery, I had literally and figuratively awakened in into my understanding now is into authentic cosmic consciousness. Uh, the kind of things that we actually do read about in esoteric literature and, and books. Uh, I was, I understood how healing worked. I remembered how healing worked. I was accessing what we could say is the hidden realms of wisdom that the five senses don't uh, allow us access to. And I, I just simply knew, I knew what to do. When one looks at that video, which I've asked our viewers to take a look at before watching our interview. One can see on your face, uh, even before you uh, recover fully, that you know you can do this. You have a, a certainty about you. Yeah, Jeffrey, there was, there was a knowingness. Uh, it wasn't a hope. Uh, it wasn't a belief. It was a direct, tangible knowingness. And um, as funny as it might sound, I literally never had a single doubt, not one single thought that I wouldn't walk again. It was an inner knowingness. I remembered what to do and how to do it. Today, how active are you? How much are you able to exercise, for example? I, I don't have any limitations. Um, <clears throat> if you had no idea about my story, the last thing you would ever guess is, oh, he's 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 probably still paralyzed or there's something wrong. I show absolutely no indication of the traumatic injuries that I had. And I assume that the healing really resulted from the, the state of consciousness that you've just described as cosmic consciousness, that at that level of awareness, healing or almost anything else is possible. It is, yeah, because once you move past the veil of the five physical senses, your understanding becomes much more, much more holistic and much deeper. And then therefore your access and connection to these things. And so the limitations that we impose upon ourselves through beliefs, ideologies, concepts, and so-called knowledge, which are really just justified beliefs, uh, all of those things literally disappear. And, uh, one way that I like to describe it is that upon authentic, uh, self-realization or enlightenment, whatever word you want to use, or cosmic consciousness, uh, all ignorance and knowledge are seen as the same thing and they just fall away. And so that, that was kind of the state uh, that I was in and the availability that I had to anything that I needed. You make a distinction between thinking and knowing. Thinking to me is faltering. And I like to describe thinking as the movement of the past. 
So if we start to approach it that way and understand that thinking is just taking information that we've already memorized and trying to apply it uh, within context of what we call the now, it's really just the movement of the past. And knowing this is what is already there prior to thinking. And the knowingness is actually, uh, we could say, is part of what we actually are, or what I call the self or sentience. And that is that is always present. And it's what exists before we even use the energy to think. So it seems as if what you're saying is in some timeless realm that you were able to access in, in this extraordinary state of consciousness that you found yourself in, you were already healed, even though your body wasn't there yet. Yeah. I mean, we could say it that way for sure. And um, while it might be easier to understand that all of this occurred uh, upon awakening from surgery, and it's not completely accurate uh, because as a as a little kid, I used to say to my parents and my friends that if I ever got sick, I would just heal myself, which is sort of a ridiculous thing to say. And I think if anyone would have asked me, "Okay, RJ, how would you do that?" I, uh, Jeffrey, I wouldn't have had an answer, uh, but I knew it was in me. I knew this uh, ability or understanding was within me. Uh, but it wasn't time to bring it out. It was only obviously through catastrophic situation, a dire situation, that it all came back to me. And I, it really does feel like a, a muscle memory. And upon awakening, the veil that had been blocking that had been removed uh, out of out of necessity, I needed to be able to access it. But at the moment of awakening, there you were suffering from uh, what the doctors described as permanent paralysis from the chest on down and five other serious medical conditions all at the same time. Your prognosis was dismal, uh, one would have to say, and yet you felt a sense of spiritual freedom. Uh, literally, yeah, I felt completely and utterly free. Um, I describe this as a, as a true state of grace. Uh, I did not suffer, uh, even though, uh, my body was experiencing levels of pain I, I didn't even know existed, to be honest. Um, but I did not suffer, which on the surface, we may think of those two things or use them synonymously, pain and suffering. But Jeffrey, there was such detachment from, from my body that uh, I didn't suffer the sensations of pain. And I think at that level of detachment, we could even say uh, the sensations of pain and pleasure almost register as the same thing. They just register as bodily sensations. And I really didn't pay it any mind. You make a point in your book of noting that most of us go through life under the illusion that we are our body, that there's no difference between the self and the body. But from your point of view, the self and the body are very distinct. Yeah. The, yeah. The body is a, a vehicle. Just like when we want to go somewhere, we get in our car to go somewhere, generally. Uh, when the consciousness or the self or the soul, whatever word you want to use, wants to experience uh, physical reality or the lower frequencies of physical reality, it needs a vehicle itself to protect itself and to house itself. And that vehicle must be attuned to the local environment. And that vehicle is, is our, our body. And uh, this becomes very tangible upon uh, detachment. And this was something I really knew as a child, but it, 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 it was undeniable 
upon awakening from surgery because I, I couldn't feel my body and it didn't, it didn't work. Uh, it was completely non-functional. And so there's no way I could actually be my body because I was the thing that was inside it. And, uh, it, it became undeniable, uh, through that experience that we are absolutely not the body, that it's a vehicle that we get to animate and enjoy through physical incarnation. Another thing I found fascinating in reading your book, which I highly recommend to our viewers, I think it's a wonderful book. You use the word magic to describe your healing process, and you even spell it M-A-G-I-C-K, the way Aleister Crowley used, used to uh, spell it to distinguish it, I suppose, from stage magic. Magic for, for me is simply the accessing and utilization of energy that lies outside of physical sensory perception. And so in a lot of ways we do this all day long, but uh, for me, I would absolutely say that I was doing magic because I was accessing what I call intelligent energy, uh, energy that we're able to use even within our body and actually be able to command and channel energy into my body that was able to bring, we could say the life force back into it in order to heal and repair. And today you work with other people who are dealing with similar traumas to the one that you went through. The healing technique that um, I, I, guess we say I invented or downloaded or was given, which is really all the same thing, uh, there are certain, there were seven things essentially that I did repeatedly uh, while I was in the hospital rehab and when I got home. And those, those seven steps or protocols or understandings or exercises are the same ones that I teach people to do for themselves and I assist them. And the, the results are nothing short of remarkable. People that have been sick for a long time, that have tried everything, every modality, Western medicine, Eastern medicine, crystals, uh, sound bowls. I mean, you name it, those, they've tried everything and they couldn't get better. Uh, these teachings are literally a more direct experience of more of what is. And so you're able to access more of yourself and at the same time, more of your higher consciousness and the greater reality. And when we're able to work in this way, there are literally, literally no limitations. It sounds amazing. And yet at the same time, there you are, the living demonstration of the effectiveness of the method that you teach. If I had to find one word to describe what you're doing, I would probably choose the word meditation. Yeah, Jeffrey, exactly. Uh, what I, the self, what we really are, is meditation. It's what exists prior to thought, prior to belief, prior to emotion, prior to the body. And healing is the return to what is original to you. And what is original to you is harmony, perfection, divinity, vitality. And so by going within meditation, we're able to access what we really are. And that what we really are is a supreme vibration. It's a direct fractal of God. And when you attune your conscious mind, and then therefore your body to the supreme vibration that lies within between the heart and the spine, your body of energy and your physical body can only heal itself because you raise in frequency and you raise in vibration and disharmony cannot exist within a high frequency environment. And so this is sort of the foundational understanding of the ascend the frequencies healing technique 
what I've done for myself and, and how I've helped countless, countless people and why I wrote the book so, so people can do it themselves. It's very interesting that you use the phrase ascended frequencies or higher frequencies is another term you use because my first thought when I hear the word frequency is that higher frequency means faster. But as I listen to you and read your book, I'm under the impression that what you mean by higher frequency is not necessarily faster, though it might be, but something more akin to closer to the divine. Yeah, that's 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 a great way to say it because it is. And nothing originates uh, in the physical. Everything is projected down here. And this is also why there's nothing truly curative in this realm, because nothing actually is born here or originates here. So we end up just left with treating the body. So the more that we go up, and there's no real up or down, so to speak, but the more that we go or raise our frequency or go up in frequency, we, we do attune ourselves more to where we come from and our nor our normal holistic environment. And it's through that, through higher frequencies, we're able to harmonize the lower frequencies. And hence that's through healing and self-realization. They work they work in very similar ways. They're not the exact same thing, but there's a symbiotic relationship between authentic self-realization and authentic self-healing. And there are exercises in, in your book. I think I would call it a guided meditation. You have uh, the description, I think, of traveling in a rocket ship, going into outer space as sort of, I think of it maybe as a metaphor for attaining higher frequencies. Yeah, Jeffrey, it is simply giving the mind a permission slip. So a, a rocket ship, an elevator, spaceship. Uh, I, I chose I chose the one I chose because it allows people, it gives their mind permission to take off. And in that sense, they're able to go up in frequency or ascend the frequencies. And so it's simply just a permission slip, uh, but it, it works. It, it is like magic in terms of how it works because we start to access the energies that we don't see, that there's no sensory perceptions, but there's tangible proof in terms of what happens to you when, when you do these things. And I'm just one, one maybe extreme example of the proof of what happens when you actually do the steps in the book. And you also are suggesting then that the physical world that we experience through our senses and that most of us identify with throughout the day, if we're not asleep or dreaming, we're engaged at some level in the physical world that this this is a world of low frequencies. Yeah, absolutely. In fact, uh, it is my experience that we are in the third frequency, what people call the third dimension. Um, it's my experience that we're actually in the third frequency of the first full dimension. And the first full dimension is in the entire physical universe. All physicality is within the first full dimension. Then everything outside or quote unquote above that there's really, we have no, uh, nothing that we can relate that to in terms of its intangibility. So we're really in the third frequency and the lowest three frequencies that band together to, to give us sort of height, weight, and width, sort of what we call a three-dimensional reality. But energy exists frequentially or in frequency. Dimensions simply house frequency. So we don't really exist dimensionally. We exist frequentially. That this is my direct experience with that. And 
I gather that to the extent that we are identified with our body, with our three-dimensional reality, our life history, for example, you would describe that as a false identity. We, we are caught in an illusion. Yeah, we identify the, the, the main foundation of identification with being a human being is with the suit, the physical suit or the physical vehicle. So what we all are is sentience given energy to create. So this is just a suit. And so, but the foundation of what I call our ego mind identity is identification with the body. And when there's complete identification with the body, you're going to reduce yourself to body consciousness is what I call it, which will make us completely and utterly reliant just upon the five physical senses. And the data stream that comes in through the five physical senses is what forms the intellect. But we're talking about a bandwidth of information that our five senses are able to perceive is, is actually smaller than this minuscule amount that I'm making with my fingers in terms of the greater reality and what our own higher consciousness perception is, is able to perceive. And it's through, we could call it meditation, that the third eye opens, so to speak, if you want to say it that way. And the five senses are shown for what they really are. The anything that comes in through the five senses is going to be this much. And then we limit ourselves to that much. And so that's why I like to say the ego mind identity is a limitation program that runs by thinking. And what's the, what's the remedy or antidote to thinking? Meditation. And as soon as you meditate, you can go past all of your limitations. And a lot of those limitations we associate ourselves with in terms of the ability to heal. I can't get better. I can't do this. I can't do that. It's, it is just a total fallacy. We have been completely and utterly miseducated and overly medicated. And uh, I want to change that. Well, you seem to be well on your way to uh, affecting change in, in that arena. And one of the instructions that you work with uh, with your clients and uh, recommendations in your book is that people learn to develop, uh, I guess I would call it one-pointed focused attention. Yeah, so exactly, yeah. So we want to bring all of our energy into a single pointedness of focus, because when we're able to harness and the book shows you how to do it, we're able to harness all of our energy into a single pointedness of focus. We're bringing all of the power of our higher mind into one thing. So whether that's healing or any kind of achievement, actually, but we become far more powerful when we can direct all of our energy into sort of one thing. And the more specific that we are about that one thing. Like if I, if someone said, RJ, I just want to feel better. I would say, no, tell me more, be more specific about how you want to feel better. Cause the more specific we are, the more energy we can bring to that one thing. And then therefore we have a much greater chance of that coming into manifestation or reality. And to go back to that state you described earlier is cosmic consciousness. I think what you're saying is that's our natural state. That's who we really are all the time. Yeah, it, it is, Jeffrey. Um, I, I had a lot of help with mine because my body didn't work anymore. So <laughs> I was forced to sort of open up my higher consciousness, which I've been doing as, as a child, to be, to be honest about it. But yes, we're, we're, we're inside, we're all the same thing. We're sentience, what I call sentience, or we could think of sentience as love and wisdom. And all our talents and abilities would be subsets underneath this love and wisdom. That's what we really are, all of us. And then we're also given a complement of energy. 
And that, that's the energy that we use to create, to think, to emote, and to animate the body. So there's no, there's no difference between me, Jeffrey, and anyone who's listening in terms of how this gets broken down. It's just being able to access it directly and then being able to harness it directly and being able to raise your own frequency or change the electromagnetic frequency of your brain through meditation, that you realize that there are no limitations. All the limitations that you've set up for yourself have to do with just your five senses and your intellect through the identification with the body. And the beginning of the book, as you know, Jeffrey, I talk a lot about the ego mind identity and how to overcome the limitation program of what's possible and what isn't possible. There's nothing that's impossible. There's absolutely nothing that's impossible. When you're in an unlimited and divine state of consciousness, you are unlimited and you are divine. And this is just sort of the reawakening or the reemergence or the, the reconnection with being able to do this for ourselves. On the other hand, you also write about how we come into this, I'll call it an earth school, in order to learn certain lessons. In your case, I suppose, finding yourself totally parallel, nearly totally paralyzed was, was a lesson for you. And you point out some people uh, sign up in advance to, to go through this lesson. And for some people, it's not going to be a dramatic healing because that's not their lesson. Their lesson might be a slow, prolonged healing or, or worse for all I know. Yeah, that, that's right, Jeffrey. And I think that's really important to, to share with people. Uh, my experience uh, in, in this, as RJ in this incarnation is that with all the people that I've worked with, I, I seem to, they seem to all fall into one of these categories. I call one spontaneous healing. And I've had the pleasure of playing the, the role of the healer and people's spontaneous healings who were very, very ill, very ill. And it would seem like magic occurred and they were literally instantly better and all things were resolved. And I mean instantly. I'm talking about minutes. Now, this is rare, but people do sign up in their life plan to experience spontaneous healing. I would say the next one down would be fast healing, where maybe that takes a few weeks or maybe a couple of months. Then there's gradual healing, which can obviously take even longer. Slow healing. There's some people that are dealing with um, chronic issues for years and years and years. And I've also experienced no healing for people that have literally signed up to simply learn how to work with something, not necessarily transcend it, but to simply learn how to work with something. And maybe an example would be someone who's, <clears throat> excuse me, lost a limb or something like that. So, you know, we're not going to necessarily grow a limb back. So they're going to learn how to work with that supposed limitation. But I found that people fall in one of those categories and it's what the soul signs up for because there's something to learn through each one of those. And it's interesting in that in some way, there might be less to learn through spontaneous healing because there was no process. It was just sort of instantaneous. But those people are also working with faith. I found that those people are working with deep, deep faith. Uh, but each one affords the soul a certain experience. And within that certain experience, there are certain things that we can learn and evolve through. So every person will be different when it comes to this sort of thing. It's not as if there's a, a, a single pattern that people fall into. Um, what I would like to see is that I would like to see everyone work at their highest level. And so instead of maybe very slow healing or gradual healing, maybe by working with this, the wisdom that transcends knowledge is what I call the information in the book. 
is that maybe that can be accelerated because really what we're talking about is the evolution of consciousness, whether it's through physical healing, mental healing, emotional healing. When we start to work with ourselves in the way that the, the book lays out, uh, all bets are off. <laughs> we can, we can really do anything because we're operating outside the ego mind identity. And I'm, we could even say I'm obsessed with the efficacy of the evolution of consciousness. And uh, hopefully this, these teachings introduce a whole new way of understanding ourselves and understanding the greater reality. As I mentioned earlier, you refer to the process as being akin to magic, to, to very similar to what many esoteric systems teach as magic. And an important part of that then is the use of language and magic words. Yeah, the spoken word is uh, very powerful. I mean, giving giving sort of the life force breath through speech. And if you think about speech and the term that we spell words, it's really the effect that that vibration through speech has upon the ether, the energy, which is the same thing. But if we start to look at that more closely, the energy that is most directly and immediately impacted through speech is our own body of energy and our own body, right? And so this is why affirmations, mantras, prayers, <clears throat> excuse me, commands. There's a reason why these things have been used. It's because they actually work. And truthful expression from the self, and by the way, I'm pointing to the center of my chest, because this, what we really are when we're incarnate sits between our heart and our spine. There's, there's nothing up here but memory. The real you sits between your heart and your spine. So when we speak directly from the self, it is one of the most potent ways that we can alter our entire body of energy and our body, and we can use this for self-healing and, and self-realization. Another aspect of the work that you do with people involves the chakras, the classical chakras of yoga. When you refer to the, the, the space between your heart and your spine, I imagine you're talking about the heart chakra. That's exactly right. That's exactly right. There are seven, uh, uh, if people are unfamiliar with this. There, there are seven main chakras. The chakras are um, energy transformers or energy metabolizers that actually produce the form and function of our body. And I realize we don't realize this because we don't have access to this by using our five senses. But when we actually use our higher consciousness, we can actually see the chakras. We can actually see how they operate and we can actually experience the different frequencies in which they operate within. So ultimately, when we're detached enough from our body, we will actually start to realize that it's the chakras that are taking in energy that actually keep the form and function of our vehicle. And it, it's not food. So this is also, we talk about that later in the book too, in the, the chapter about fasting in terms of how to heal. There's a reason, I promise you, there's a reason why all authentic mystics and masters talk about fasting and meditation. There's a reason for that. And those, those uh, beings have realized exactly what it is that, that I'm sort of rambling about is the idea that chakras are energy metabolizers. And that's what really sustains you uh, with, within this body in this realm. You mentioned that we're each given a certain, I think you maybe even use the phrase allotment of energy for uh, this lifetime. I have so much energy that I can spend. So it's up to me to determine how to direct that energy. 
Yeah, it, it, it's exactly right. And the analogy that I use, Jeffrey, is if you think about like your gas tank <clears throat> for your car, or for your truck, whatever, your gas tank. So if you have a, a certain place that you need to go to that day, that's super important, right? But you only have a certain amount of gas in your gas tank, right? As we all do. It's, it's wisest not to make pit stop after pit stop after pit stop after pit stop. And then you actually don't even have the energy to follow through on the intentionality that you originally set out on the one truly important thing. So as an analogy, the more that we can work with our own energy in this way and not to constantly be leaking our energy in unimportant things like thinking and overly emoting and stressing and being able to use our energy properly, which is to be able to follow through on our intentionality in terms of what most resonates within us. You, for example, when you began your healing process and you're still in the hospital, your friends are very concerned about you. You uh, sent word to all of your friends not to call, not to interrupt your healing process. So you wanted to be able to maintain that one-pointed focused attention. Yeah, that's right. And maybe on the surface, that sounds odd, uh, you know, when you're in a very difficult situation or a challenging situation. Uh, and my family and friends were obviously very concerned, texting, calling. And I told my partner at the time, I said, please tell everyone not to call, not to text, not to email, because I cannot afford to leak and spend my energy, my gas tank on explaining what happened and what's the diagnosis and what are the antibiotics I'm taking and how long am I going to be in the hospital? Because if you think about it, that is not going to help me heal. And so I could not waste my energy. I didn't want to make pit stop after pit stop after pit stop in terms of wasting my energy. And those that know me, for me to say, hey, I need to heal myself and work on myself, don't, that's not that unusual for me to say something like that. But they all respected that because they understood the, the challenge that I had. But this is so important about being able to harness your energy properly. And I think it's part of why we struggle with achieving the things that we want to in this life. It's, it's because we're leaking so much of our energy, mainly in thought, emotion, and behavior, that we haven't really investigated the root cause behind what is driving those thoughts, emotions, and behaviors. And once you start to do that, when you understand your motivation behind your desire, intention, thought, emotions, actions, and behavior, you become immensely powerful. And there's really no obstacle anymore. Once you understand your motivation, that is true power. One of the things that you seem to be saying is that, is that if we stop our thinking through meditation, we enter naturally into this state of grace you've referred to as cosmic consciousness, where real power, authentic power resides. Yes. Uh, and let me preface that by saying that detachment is power. Which I'm, we've been taught the opposite, right? You know, care about this, get involved in that, and this—that's that, using your energy. Okay, when we're attached to something or we identify with something, it's like Spider-Man shooting a spider web. He's now attached to this person, this situation, this belief, this concept. That, that attachment is actually your energy. You're using your energy to stay attached to that, and so this is part of why we don't have enough energy to follow through on the intentionality of what means something to us. So it's through detachment. Or we can just call being the observer, if you like, although it goes much deeper than that. But through being an observer, you, you have no vested interest in anything. And when you observe and you're not attached, what happens is your energy comes back to you. 
So it's through detachment that we get our power back. This is one of the most important things to understand that we cannot be tied up using our energy to beliefs, concepts, ideologies, even to people. And I, mean, I could explain that later, but that doesn't mean you don't care. It's actually the opposite. Compassion is what flows from you. Caring is a vested interest in a specific outcome, which is actually disempowering. Compassion is being fully present. So we have to be fully present for ourselves. And when we do that, we have all of our energy. And when we have all of our energy, that's when we can do anything. And the main thing that we need to do once we have all of our energy is to sit and not waste it. And what starts to happen is we, the attunement, the consciousness attunement to the body starts to lessen because we're not thinking, emoting, and doing. So all that starts to calm down. And what we start to experience is what we really are because we're no longer identifying with this or using this. So what happens, the real you starts to come online. And Jeffrey, this is exactly what you're talking about. The higher consciousness and what you really are starts to come online through, believe it or not, doing nothing, which includes not thinking. <laughs> you also write about the importance of the crown chakra. Yogis sometimes refer to it as the, the thousand-petaled lotus that opens up sort of, I think, above the head, really, and uh, that you, one can draw energy into the system through the crown chakra. Yeah, that, yeah that's important, Jeffrey. It's because the crown chakra is the highest chakra associated with the human form. So by opening up our crown chakra, we're able to tangibly bring in the higher frequency or what I call intelligent energy that's operating at the crown chakra and bring it into our body. And by using that higher frequency energy or intelligent energy, that that energy naturally harmonizes and heals lower frequency energy. So we would want to open up the chakra that's the highest chakra most associated with our physical form, which is our crown chakra. And by opening that and bringing in the energy, it's an incredibly effective way to, to self-heal. And also the illuminated or open crown chakra is really the association that we have with all the paintings of beings like Christ and Buddha and St. Germain of uh, the halo. And the halo is really the artist's uh, interpretation or rendition of the fully opened and illuminated crown chakra. I think of the crown chakra as one's access to what I would call the infinite. Yeah, that's, that's the one that you need to open up for sure. And when you open up, fully open up that chakra, what happens naturally, Jeffrey, is all the other chakras must open as well. So... The, all of those chakras fully open, this is sort of the, we could say it's a starting point for self-realization or enlightenment, which are the same thing from my perspective. But yeah, that opening up the chakras and including the crown chakra, you're able to perceive things way beyond the five physical senses and you're able to be in touch with what you really are by being in that state. It's, it's, it's essential. It's essential for healing. And it's uh, impossible not to do that in order to achieve authentic uh, self-realization or what we call enlightenment. I'm going to sit with that for a moment because <laughs> it, it seems uh, in this conversation, one could reach a point where words seem superfluous. We're talking about a, a level beyond words entirely. There, there's a real challenge there um, for me to try to relay what there really aren't words for, because these things are meant to be experienced. They're not meant to have some guy explain what it's like. 
you're meant to do this and you're going to do this and you're going to discover this. And please use this book as your permission slip to do it. Use my, use my incarnation now to free yourself, to liberate yourself. Uh, these things are meant to be experienced. It's our divine right. It is our destiny. And yeah, words, words definitely fall short. There's a, a, a real quick story, Jeffrey. I'll tell you. <clears throat> long time ago, and I promise you, it's a true story. A long time ago, there were two masters, two authentic spiritual masters that were existing and living not too far from each other. One lived in the woods in the middle of nowhere, and another one lived sort of at the beginning of the mountains. And the townspeople knew both of them. And the townspeople always used to say, oh, could you imagine if the two masters ever meet? Oh, my God, if the two masters were just ever meet, it would be absolutely incredible. Well, one day, oddly enough, both masters start traveling into town at the exact same time. And so the townspeople are going absolutely crazy. They're like, oh, my God, the masters are finally going to meet. They're finally going to be able to talk. There's, they're going to be able to communicate and share all this incredible wisdom and love that they have. And so the two masters actually met. Right in the middle of town, face to face, they came right up to each other, looked into each other's eyes. And one of them said to the other, what is there to say? And then they went about their business. So it's, to speak to your point, Jeffrey, at a certain point, it's just a state of being and a state of knowingness and words, they absolutely fall short. And I think uh, I, I feel that struggle to try to capture the indescribable, the unexplainable, and hopefully I did a good enough job that it's that it's helpful enough people on the, on their journey to authentic self healing and self liberation. Well, I think you did a masterful job with your book, but there was one point in the book that I found especially interesting, and you're referring to yourself, and I think you even refer to yourself as your holy brother. And you suggest that you have more love and compassion for the people reading the book than they can ever know. Yeah, it's difficult not to get emotional even um, addressing that. Yes. Uh, humanity, and the collective consciousness is uh, so, so deeply woven within my heart um, that there are no words to express that. And uh, I would literally, literally do anything to help move consciousness along for people to understand what's inside them. The love that I have for you is the love I want you to feel for yourself. The compassion that I have for each and every one of you, I want you to feel that compassion for yourself and for each other because it is the true nature of things. Existence is far more loving and kind than your mind can ever fathom. Well, that is a very profound thought. And the way you say it suggests to me that you're really connected to the source of where that thought comes from. Yes. Uh, I would say maybe the only thing I'm good at is getting out of the way and letting it come through, letting the truth come through, letting the real essence of things come through. It's probably the only thing I have any real ability at is being able to get out of the way and not allow maybe the human condition to get in the way. And I think that's really the challenge, the ego mind identity, the thoughts, the beliefs, the concepts, the identifications with the body, to just let all that just fall aside, just like the clouds finally parting and you can see the sun. Same kind of thing. Just let everything fall to the, to the side. Let everything fall to the wayside. 
And then what remains is, is really you. And that real you is, is love. It's wisdom. It's, it's, it's compassion. And we are all exactly that. Do you think it was necessary for you to go through this horrible illness in, in order to achieve that realization? In this lifetime, yes. Yeah, so absolutely. Um, and to be more specific, I mean, I gave myself a, a challenge. And that challenge was to, uh, to put a destroyed body back together. And I wanted to prove to myself yet again and to prove to others that this can be done. And then to be able to explain it in detail, a step-by-step -step process, to be able to offer that to people. Because I think, one, if it hadn't happened, if the paralysis hadn't occurred, <clears throat> I don't know if I would have had full access to the remembering of how this really works. Um, we give ourselves these challenges. I gave myself that challenge. I gave myself a worthy challenge, and I accepted it wholeheartedly. And it's through our challenges and obstacles and difficulties that we grow. And so if our, if our pain doesn't teach us humility, courage, and grace, then, then we have wasted our suffering. RJ, what you're saying is, is so profound. I'm hesitant to ask you any more questions because I want to let these messages sink in for our viewers. They, they are so very, very valuable. I'm so very happy to be able to share this wisdom with the viewing audience and, and hope that you will be available to come back on New Thinking Aloud often, because these are the kinds of messages that I think are very helpful for people to repeat over and over again, just like brushing your teeth every day. Jeffrey, it would be my absolute pleasure. And those are very kind words. And those kind words say much more about you than they do about me. And I'd be, I'd be happy to. It'd be my pleasure. Well, RJ, from the bottom of my heart, thank you so much for being with me today. Thank you. Thanks for having me, Jeffrey. It's my pleasure. Thank you. And for those of you listening or watching, thank you for being with us. Thank you.